0: chapter thirty part one of the combined maze by mason clare this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter thirty mrs ransome for the first time in her life was thinking she called it thinking although that was no word for it for its richness its amplitude its peculiar secret certainty you might say that for the first time in her life mrs ransome was fully conscious that with an extraordinary vividness and clarity she saw things not as she believed and desired them to be but as they were she saw for the first time since mr ransome's death that she was happy or rather that she had been happy for more than two years that is to say ever since mr ransome's death and this vision of her happiness of her iniquitous and disgraceful satisfaction was shocking to mrs ransome she would have preferred to think that ever since mr ransome's death she had been heartbroken, but it was not so never in all her life had she been so at peace never since her girlhood had she been so gay this state of hers had lasted exactly two years and four months thus clearly dating from her bereavement for it was in may of nineteen ten that he had died and she was now in september nineteen twelve she might not have been aware of it but that it her happiness had only six months more to run for two years and four months she had had her son ranny to herself she had been the mistress of his house the little house that she loved and the mother of his children whom next to her son ranny she adored for two years and four months she had made him comfortable with a comfort he had never dreamed of which most certainly he had never known with tenderness and care and vigilance unabridged and unremitted she had brought granville and stanley and dossie to perfection it had not been so hard stanley and dossie she had found almost perfect from the first more perfect than ranny she had found them because they were not so near to her own flesh and not loved so passionately as he and granville once far from perfect had responded to treatment like a living thing. Maudie and Fred Booty had cherished it. They handed it on to Mrs. Ransom, spotless and intact. Spotless and intact, she had kept it. Spotless and intact, no doubt it would be kept, when in six months' time she in turn would hand it over to Winnie Diamond, to Ranny's second wife. He had only just told her. That was what hurt her most, that she had only just been told when for more than two years he had been thinking of it it was no use saying that he couldn't have told her before because he wasn't free he wasn't free now not properly like a widower that he would after all get rid of poor violet who hadn't in all those years troubled him or done him any harm that had been a blow to her she hadn't believed it possible she had thought the question of divorce had been settled once for all five years ago by his uncle randall and john randall in the meanwhile had justified his claim to be heard and his right to settle things he had cancelled the debt that poor fullymore had owed him to be sure he could afford it he was more prosperous and prominent than ever he was therefore less than ever likely to approve of the divorce if the idea of divorce had been appalling five years ago it was still more appalling now since after all poor violet had removed herself so far and kept so quiet the scandal of her original disappearance had somehow diminished with every year while proportionately with every year the scandal the indecency the horror of the divorce court had increased until now it seemed to be a monstrous thing and that ranny should have chosen this time of all times When they'd paid off all the creditors and got clear and stood respected and respectable again. As if his poor father's insolvency, which after all he couldn't help, since it was the drug stores that had ruined him, as if that wasn't enough disgrace for one family, he must needs go and rake up all that awful shame and trouble after all these years, when everybody had forgotten that there had been any trouble and any shame. That was what Mrs. Ransom found so hard to bear and that she had been deceived that he should have let her go on thinking that it wasn't possible up to the last minute it was saturday and he was going to the lawyer on monday she who had the first right to be told all these years he had deceived her all these years he had meant to do it the very minute he had got his rise for ransom had attained the summit of his ambition he was now a petty cashier with a pen all to himself at the top of the counting-house and an income of two hundred a year short of making him assistant secretary which was ridiculous woolridges could do no more for him and winnie diamond mrs ransome reflected bitterly though he hadn't been free to speak to her though he was practically it didn't occur to mrs ransome that what she meant was theoretically a married man winnie had known it all the time it was extraordinary but mrs ransome who was really fond of winnie felt toward her more acute and concentrated bitterness than she had felt toward violet whom she hated she was able to think of ranny's first wife as poor violet though violet had made him miserable and destroyed his home and had left him and his children and the thought of his marrying winnie diamond was intolerable to mrs ransome though she had recognized her as the one woman ranny ought to have married the one woman worthy of him and that she would have continued to welcome her in that capacity as long as ranny had refrained from marrying her for ranny's mother knew that in violet her motherhood had had no rival violet's passion for ranny ranny's passion for violet had not robbed her of her son violet not having in her one atom of natural feeling and caring only for her husband's manhood and his physical perfection had left to mrs ransome all that was most dear to her and ranny married to violet he was still dependent on his mother he clung to her he deferred to her judgment he came to her for comfort if he had been ill it was she and not violet who would have nursed him whereas Winnie would take all that away from her she would take she could not help taking ranny utterly away not from malice not from selfishness not because she wanted to take him but because she could not help it she was so made as to be all in all to him so made as to draw him to her all in all there would be absolutely nothing of ranny left over for his mother except the affection he had always felt for her which for a woman of mrs ransome's temperament was the least thing that she claimed her instinct had divined winnie infallibly not only as a wife to ranny but as a mother A mother winnie was and would be to him far more than if she had used her womanhood to bear him children so that without the smallest preparation she saw herself required at six months notice to give up her son and while she blamed him for not having told her she overlooked the fact that if she had been told she could not have borne the knowledge it would have poisoned for her every day of the eight hundred and forty-five days for which in her ignorance she had been so happy she did not attempt to deny that she had been happy but what she had said to ranny when he told her was it's a mercy your poor father doesn't know and in that moment she thought of her happiness with a sharp pang as if it had been unfaithfulness to her dead husband it was at half past seven on a saturday evening in the last week of september nineteen twelve that mrs randall sat alone in the back sitting-room at granville and meditated miserably on those things upstairs in his bedroom overhead she could hear ranny moving very softly for fear of waking stanley she knew what he was doing he was changing making himself smart enough to take winnie diamond to the earl's court exhibition upstairs in his bedroom overhead ranny moved very softly for fear of waking stanley he was changing into a new gray suit making himself more smart than he had been for years to take Winnie to the earl's corps exhibition in that shirt glistening high collared in a grey-blue tie in grey-blue socks and brown boots ranny looked very smart indeed and the suit the suit looked splendid the fold down the legs of the trousers being as yet unimpaired and ranny looked young ever so young still though he was thirty-two the faint lines at the corner of his eyes and of his mouth accentuated agreeably their upward tilt he had gained distinction by the increasing firmness of his face virile in its adolescence it had kept its youth in its maturity ranny's face expressed him it was fine and clean it had not one mean or faltering line in it and his figure had not after all deteriorated flabbiness was as far from him as it had been in his youth with infinite precautions ranny opened a drawer where he found a small japanned tin box very new this he unlocked softly and from a little canvas bag that lay in the compartment specially reserved for it he took a sovereign one of four that represented rather more than a week's proportion of his new salary he had made up his mind that when the day came he would spend no less a sum so great a rise could not be celebrated unless if a cashier of woolridge's could have been capable of saving say one and nine pence out of that sovereign the man who was engaged to Winnie diamond would have died rather of course it was a thundering lot to spend but then ranny desired he was determined to spend a thundering lot it was extravagant but he wished to be extravagant it was reckless irresponsible but reckless and irresponsible was what he felt. He meant to go it. He meant to have his fling just for once. And he meant that Winnie, who had never had hers, nor any share in anybody else's, should taste just for once the rapture of a fling. She should have it for three solid hours of that delicious night in one mad, flaming, stupendous orgy at the Earl's Court exhibition. For it wasn't really his rise that called for it. was only a means to his divorce and marriage it was his engagement that he proposed to celebrate the engagement though he could hardly believe it was a fact true it could not be made public until a decent interval after the divorce but it had been acknowledged and settled between him and winnie as soon as ever he knew that he had got his rise they would never celebrate it at all if they didn't celebrate it now before all the beastliness began for he knew perfectly well that it would be beastly winnie would feel it even more than he did she would feel it for him things that they had both forgotten would be raked up again all the misery and all the shame now that it was imminent he dreaded the divorce court his uncle randall could not have shrunk more painfully from this public washing of his dirty linen he would come out of the great wash-house feeling almost but not quite as unclean as if his linen had been kept at home and never washed at all and the trail of all that nastiness would spread over the six months of their engagement it would poison everything he didn't mean to think about it or let winnie think they were going to enjoy themselves to-night while they could while they still felt innocent and clean and jolly he stooped for a moment over the crib where his little son lay curled and snuggling his face hidden his head with its crop of dark hair showing like the fur of some soft burrowing animal he freed the little mouth muffled in bedclothes and tucked the blankets closer he picked up stanny's teddy bear that had fallen lamentably to the floor and laid it where stanny would find it beside him when he woke treading softly he went into the next room where dossie lay in her own little bed beside his mother's her little seven-year-old girl body stretched out in all its dainty slenderness so unlike stanny's he saw with a pang of sudden passion the sweet difference her face laid sideways and her golden brown hair showed already a fine edge nose and mouth and chin turned subtly and carved out of their baby softness to the likeness of his own he stooped and kissed dossie's hair and took without touching the sweetness of her mouth then he ran softly down the stairs his mother heard him running and came to the door of the room you're not going out like that she said without an overcoat it'll rain before you're back i know and that new suit'll be ruined rot it can't rain on a night like this good night mother don't go sittin' up i don't know when i'll be in i'll hot some cocoa for you last thing and leave it on the trivet shan't want cocoa what shall you want then oh lord his nerves were all on edge he couldn't bear it nothing he cried as he rushed out at the gate it struck him that he had been a brute to her he turned he rushed back to her he put his arm round her and kissed her you're all right now aren't you yes ran dear i'm all right she smiled run away and don't keep winnie waiting heaven only knew what it cost her and ranny looked back laughing through the doorway you know mother it really is all right and you're an angel and she said there go along with you he went ranny how nice you look winnie herself was looking nice and knew it she wore a green cotton gown trimmed with white pipings and a thing she called a peggy hat that was half a bell and half a bonnet and had diminutive roses sewn on it here and there like buttons they were going down the long entrance to the exhibition between painted walls, in brilliant illumination, and in publicity that might have been trying if they had had eyes for anything except each other. Winnie's eyes were brimming with joy and tenderness as she looked at him. If she loved the new grey suit, the brown boots and the trilby hat, she did not love them more than the shabby blue serge with the place she knew in the lining where she had mended it. All the same, it was impossible to see him in such things without that little breathless thrill of wonder and excitement. There wasn't one man at Earl's court that night who could compare with Ranny. He made them all look weedy, flabby, pitiful, uninteresting things. And then all of a sudden, they were at the paygate, as she looked, astonishment, grief, and anxiety appeared on Winnie's face. Something had dismayed her tenderness, dashed her joy she had seen ranny take out of his waistcoat pocket gold not ten shillings but a whole sovereign and a dreadful fear awoke in her he was going to spend it all she knew it something told her she could see by the way he smacked it down careless-like and winnie couldn't bear it she couldn't bear to think that ranny who had pinched and scraped and done without things for years should go and throw away all that on her but anybody could see that he was going to do it by the strange excitement and abstraction in his eyes by the way he gathered up the change and took winnie by the arm and walked off with her his eyes and the close crook of his arm drawing her along with him in his course the slight leaning of his body toward hers as they went his stride and the set of his head proclaimed that he had got her that she couldn't escape that he meant to go it that he had the right to spend on her more than he could possibly afford She could see what he was thinking. In one tremendous burst, he was going to make up to her now for all that she had missed. What was more, he was going to rub it into her that he had the right to. She couldn't realize their happiness as he did. They had been cheated out of it so long that she couldn't believe in it, couldn't believe that it was actually in their grasp, the shining, palpitating joy that for five years had been dangled before them only to be jerked out of their hands. He wanted to make her feel it, to make her taste and touch and handle the thing that seemed impossible and yet was certain ranny was intoxicated he was reckless with certainty and winnie couldn't bear it all the way up between the painted walls she was trying to think what she could do to prevent his spending a whole sovereign she knew that it was no use fighting ranny the more she hung on to him to stop him the more ranny would struggle and break loose persuasion was no good The more she reasoned the more determined he would be to spend that sovereign and the more ways he would find to spend it it was to be one of those mortal combats between man's will and woman's wit winnie meant to circumvent ranny and to defeat him by guile and at first it looked as if it could be done easily for at first the exhibition seemed to be on winnie's side they had emerged from between the painted walls into shakespeare's england into the narrow crooked streets under the queer old overhanging houses with the swinging signs hundreds of years old ranny said they were and in the streets there were strange crowds young men and young women who went shouting and singing and were marvellously and fantastically dressed and they had glimpses through lattice windows of marvellous and fantastic merchandise marvellous and fantastic it seemed to winnie at first sight but when she saw that it was just what they were selling in the shops to-day the delicious confusion in her mind heightened the effect of fantasy and of enchantment i didn't think it would be like this she said but why it was like that and why it was called shakespeare's england what on earth shakespeare had to do with it when he couldn't think shakespeare why he wrote books didn't he plays Winky, plays plays then and when ranny told her that it meant that england was like this in shakespeare's time hundreds of years ago and reminded her that they had a scene from one of his plays on at the coliseum the other day when he thought that only made it more marvellous and more like a dream than ever and she thought ranny was more marvellous than ever with the things he knew and then having lured him into this tangled side issue she began as cool and off as you please he gave her the opening when he asked her what she'd like to do next this is good enough for me she said for the most marvellous thing about shakespeare's england was that you could walk about in it free of charge. He looked at her almost as if he knew what she was up to. But you've seen it, Winky. You've seen all there is of it. You don't want to stay here all night, do you? He had her there, with his reminder of the hours they had to put in. Well, she was lingering in the most natural manner, as if fascinated by the exterior of the Globe Theatre, for she wished to spin out the time. She saw Ranny's hand sliding toward his pocket would you like to go inside it he said no ranny dear i wouldn't at least i'd rather not if you've no objection she spoke firmly seriously as if she knew something against the globe theatre as if the globe theatre were disreputable or improper then it was wonderful how she contrived the little air of excited inspiration tell you what she said let's go and sit down somewhere and listen to the band there's nothing i love so much as listening to a band She knew that they charged nothing for listening to the band. It was a prompting from the exhibition itself, proving here again that it was on her side, an entirely friendly and benignant power. All right, said Ranny, that's in the Western Garden. End of chapter 30, part 1 Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine